Listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It is Mental Health Monday. We'll chat with Dignus Heidi Gaiman in just a moment. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. You can find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live uncommon. It is time for Mental Health Monday. We're digging into finding hope from brokenness to restoration with Deaconess Heidi Gaiman. Good morning, Heidi. Morning. It is uh, a new day and a new week. We're continuing with our study of finding hope from brokenness to restoration. This week, we get into the chapter on community. We've talked about community a little bit throughout the book. Uh, Today, we get to define it and dig into the topic. So what is uh, the definition or definitions of community? (laughs) Community. These are nice and short. Number one, someone who lives very near to another. (laughs) So, you know, there is the kind of like (laughs) geographic space that we fill together. Mm -hmm. Um, And number two, one who connects with those around them to serve in mercy, to live peaceably and to share hope. And so we'll, we'll spend time in both of those today. All right. So, okay. So when you say these definitions, the first word that also comes to my mind is neighbor. Is that, mm-hmm. is that, are those the same things as we talk about this? Well, neighbors live in a community, right? So like neighbor mm-hmm. is, I think, someone who fills this broader umbrella, if you will, that makes up community. Um, and so we talk about kind of the verb neighboring, like the act of being neighbors together. Um, and so I think that is entirely Um, accurate to what makes community is actually those actions of neighboring together rather than just the physical space that we fill together, Um, which we go into in the book. And we kind of wrestle with our penchant toward community as filling space (laughs) Mm -hmm. and the gift of God of community through neighboring. So the, the word community is used a lot Today mm-hmm. we hear it. I, you probably hear it in the news it, every day um, in in mainstream media regarding this community or that community. Mm-hmm. What are the different types of community that we may experience throughout our lives? I list some in the book, and um, I'll list those here too. But I think it would be interesting to kind of think of between the three of us, maybe some of the communities when when I talk about these things that we find in our own lives. So um, towns, certainly, or villages, or the city that we live in, or especially in cities, I think like the little enclave that we live in, uh, the neighborhood we live in, if you will, um, nations. Uh, there's certainly a certain sense of community around that nationalism. Um People groups or ethnic uh, communities, heritage, uh, are the heritage that's handed down uh, to us, whether that's ethnic or like a broader concept of that, traditions and things like that, um, as well as clubs and special interests um, and all those different places and spaces we might find then within our community, like a, a library writing group or uh, something like that. So when I say all those things, can you guys think of uh, some different communities, even within your community, maybe geographic place of St. Louis that you're involved in? Oh, I think now that we're somewhat of a, have a global connectedness because mm-hmm. of the internet, there mm-hmm. are all kinds of communities mm-hmm. like 
online communities. Mm-hmm. Lutheran Ladies Lounge. Yeah, yeah. yeah groups and stuff <laughs> too within that, yeah. Is there a difference between the communities that we create mm. or that we participate in by choice and the ones that we're just um you know plummeted into by, by default by default <laughs> yes yeah is there a difference uh between you know are some constructed and others uh designed Mm, yeah, I would sure. definitely. That's the right word. No, that's a really good question. I would put a both and on that. Um, I do think that God, because you know, God's the inventor of the idea of neighbor, right? Like it's a biblical concept. I think He puts us in places and spaces, and then we're given that work of creating community. Um, I don't think it like magically just happens without any kind of effort. But at the same time, there is also this place for community that just is like whether I want to be neighbors with someone or not, it just is. It's like a gift of God. And so that's one part of community. And then the other part is that more active process. And so I do think it's both. And I think there is certainly more power and authenticity perhaps in the active work of community, those places and spaces that we do engage with in something that resembles community in a maybe more biblical sense of being connected together and those things listed in the second definition and a way of showing mercy to one another to be peaceable and bring peace in our environment and then also to share hope together. Um, And I think that is different than where we've just been put. But at the same time, I do think we have to have an eye on where God has put us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're talking about communities within community, like we have our church community, but then we also have our church choir community within our church mm-hmm. community. So there's like there's these concentric circles that kind of start happening of of uh, of different I don't know levels of these relationships in community and and different ways that that they serve uh, because I don't know as as you as you expand outward the community also gets bigger and then I guess that changes how it looks when you're when you're doing things in mercy and and hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think having that sense of awareness is one space that's really important. So just being aware of the communities that we interact with and the ones that we're moving within is an important work of I think God and neighboring and all that good stuff. And then there's another place for something beyond awareness, which is intentionality, where I'm trying to create deeper community instead of just letting it be what it is as gifted by God. And both are his work. Yeah. So where does identity play a role in this? Because I'm also thinking of, of like the bike community that I am a part of. Uh, <laughs> That's <sometimes>. exactly what <laughs> And I feel like our identities can sometimes get wrapped up in this. What is that relationship of identity with community? Mm, That's an important point. I write in the book, especially about the concept of uh, permanence and pilgrimage and how we as people, we, we just, we want permanence so bad. And I do think that's intricately connected to our sense of identity. Um, We have a hard time being pilgrims here in this world. It is uncomfortable for us, I think, as human beings. Um, And and sure, we can, I think, learn to move in that better. But I just think it will always be a little uncomfortable for us, our lack of permanence. Um, Because we were made for 
something more. You know, we were made for life eternal with God and our systems know it. And so in that search for permanence, we latch on to something that gives us a stronger sense of permanence. And then that often gets wrapped up in our idea of identity of who I am. And so I've continuously used this silly example of living in Nebraska and people's deep love for Husker football Um, Mm -hmm. and that it gives them this massive sense of community on many levels. You know, there's this kind of statewide sense of community, this regional sense of community. And then there's also, you know, the... Um, the neighbor sense of community where people are just like talking about it all the time and wearing the hats and, um, and people, I mean, they wheel in the TV during the wedding receptions, if there's a game and it's just a huge piece of the community identity, but then also people's individual identity. Like I am a Husker fan. Like that's, that's like who I am more than anything else. And I wear it on my forehead, on this ball cap, and also this t-shirt to let you know. Um, but then, you know, obviously <laughs> at our at our most unhealthy, what happens when the team falls apart? We fall apart and things feel really <laughs> shaky. And it sounds like the silliest example, but we've all seen people kind of lose it over something like that, like a, a sport, sports team losing the Super Bowl that we were. And I, I understand that Huskers do not play in the Super Bowl, um, but you know, just humor me here. Um, Our mental health cannot rest on some of the things that we attempt to seek permanence and also identity in. Instead, our mental health is stronger when it's given the stability of Jesus Christ as Savior, um, the hope of his restoration in the resurrection and the time to come uh, while we walk on this earth. And so I think that, you know, child of God, forgiven, loved child of God as our identity, it there's a stability in that that we are desperately longing for that helps us create, I think, a deeper, more authentic community. And also, um, you know, just it gives us a sense of health that's that's foundational. It doesn't mean that we can control all of our mental health. Like (laughs) there's a whole lot of other things going on here. Right. But it does, I've noticed, give us this stronger sense of identity so that we can then move within our community and help our community craft um, a stronger sense of identity. As you were describing like Nebraska and Huskers fans, when we were talking about identity, I also get the sense that that there's a a, a culture too that that the community can have its own mm-hmm. culture too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's if, if identity is part of it, then then culture can be as well. Yeah, I, thinking of- I think culture is so great of a word because it is also twofold. I, I love twofold words, um, but culture is both something often given to us, right? That we think of in our, those heritage components or ethnic components and things like that. But culture is also something we, we craft or are part of in all of our spaces. And often actually in our communities where there is an unhealthy culture, if you will, um, one that is maybe abusive, even in organizations, right? Um, that isn't, uh, 
creating that mercy and pe living peaceably or sharing hope that we read in those definitions, uh, that will be noticeable. Um, and so we have the opportunity to both impact that culture and also sometimes exit that culture if that community is not serving us well. And so keeping our eye on the culture of a given community, whether that's geographic or um you know, uh, organizational or whatever, uh, keeping an eye on the culture helps us to understand what communities are healthier for us to lean into and which ones we need to set boundaries up for in our lives. Hmm. So those children born into hockey culture. Yes. <sighs> that's totally a thing. Hockey is for everyone, man. That's the culture. <laughs> Hockey night in Canada every it is, Saturday. <laughs> it is Mental Health Monday. We're talking community in Finding Hope from Brokenness to Restoration by Deacon is Heidi Gaiman. We'll be back in just a moment. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason to use your God given gifts to help others. To live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world. To live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It is Mental Health Monday, and we're talking with Deaconess Heidi Gaiman, uh, taking a look at her book, Finding Hope from Brokenness to Restoration. This week, we're in the chapter on community. And so we've, we've talked about the relationship of community to identity and culture. And uh, so moving forward, then, how might communities be a shadow of what is to come? You know, I think that scripture is one gigantic narrative of God, right? And we are part of that. And so I think um, there can be this uh, sense of togetherness in community that is a shadow of the amazing and and even like much loved sense of togetherness that we will have um, when Jesus comes back, when we have the victory feast, when we're all gathered around his table face to face. Um, I think that when we get that, and one reason why the communion table is so powerful, the forgiveness of sins that we receive in that table is important. And also this sense that we are rehearsing, right? We are, we're waiting for something more together. And it's called communion, you know, related to community, that it is a, something we do together as the community of God. And so I think that's especially a place that's very visual for us, where we can begin to understand this idea of community together and what, how it's that shadow of what is to come. What does authenticity look like in all of this uh, with these relationships and talking about these, these shadows of the things to come? Um, what does that authentic community look like? Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh man, it's messy. You know, it's just messy. And where there's no mess, I get like, really like, hmm. <laughs> I, I wonder about that only because I, I usually think when there's no mess, then there usually isn't depth, 
right? There's mm-hmm. surface community. And while that's still community, again, it's the both and, like God creates community. So this happens in congregations a lot in the sense of community where um God creates it. It's a community, right? The church is a community on earth, the big C church. And then our local congregations are aspects of that. It's created by God. We don't have to do anything to make sure that stands. However, at the same time, I've interacted with enough congregations that live in this surface level of community instead of the depth. Um, And I think part of it is because we're a little afraid of the mess, no, a lot afraid of the mess. Um, (laughs) And and it is, it's really uncomfortable. It's challenging to navigate. It takes energy. Um, It brings out all of our own internal shame that we don't really want to look at. So when that brokenness is let out though, that's God's light. You know, God is light. And when all those things aren't tucked away in the dark, then we begin to see him brighter in those communities. And so that authenticity of allowing people's brokenness to be seen, not asking them to put it away, you know, before they show up or to keep it to themselves um, or for us to believe that that's what we need to do, um, even if it's not asked of us. I think it's a really powerful thing when they come into the light and then the hope rises up like brightly um, and we're communicating that hope together. Um, We're communicating that mercy and that peace that God brings us uh, daily uh, instead of, I think, it being a vague thing that feels a little far off at times. In previous chapters, we've talked a little bit about naming brokenness. How is naming brokenness in, in our communities helpful? Mm-hmm. So you, you just talked about you know the importance of uh, if there's a lack of messiness, then it's right. probably not very deep. So how important is it to name brokenness in our communities? Well, for for Lutherans in particular, like we believe in grace alone. Like that's our thing. <laughs> and so I always like to ask Lutherans, like, how do we get to the grace if we're not naming the broken things? Um you know, I really appreciate in college when we learned about the concept of cheap grace. And I think that applies here and it applies in many different things, right? It's a wide and varied usage. Um, but here, I think it applies in the way that we um, we like grace. We really like the idea of it. Um, but then when the mess comes out and when the brokenness uh, appears, we, we don't want that. <laughs> we don't want to, to see it. And we, we want to tuck it back away. But without it, it's not grace. It's, it's just nice stuff, you know. And so with the mess is how we get to the grace. And so naming the brokenness, I think we can also more clearly name the grace of the moment. And so Jesus died once and for all for all of us. And that is grace, right? With a capital G. However, that's worked and showed up in our lives in many, many different ways. You know, redemption-sized grace in our day is something I don't think we talk about very often. And so when we name the brokenness of like, man, I was on my way to church and one of my kids threw up in the back seat and now like, well, I'm missing a sock somehow and I don't know what's going on. Uh, that kind of brokenness, again, kind of silly, but very real for lots of people trying to walk into the sanctuary on 
on Sunday morning or whenever, you know, you go to church, then I know kind of how to respond in grace. Then what kind of grace that person needs for this day. That's Jesus's death and resurrection, but coming alive in that moment for that person of, whoa, let me help you. How can I hear? Let's, let's get some wet wipes and like, what can we do? (laughs) You know, we want to see that kind of grace. And then, I mean, even more so in those times of brokenness that's desperate, when we have to name the addiction, um, when we have to name the uh, sin that's like wrapped around our ankles and our shoulders, uh, when we get the cancer diagnosis, when we lose someone we love, then we have very um, broad grace that we offer that person in Jesus Christ. But he also then brings these more narrow kinds of grace into our lives, specific to those circumstances. And so we name the brokenness to get to the hope that is his grace alive in our life. So then how do we interact with each other when we're in these communities? What is that that like uh, glue that, that helps us to uh, interact successfully, I suppose, uh, with each other in community. I would say the glue really is uh, forgiveness and can, you know, connection. It always comes back to like actually making the attempts to connect with each other um, and recognizing each other's attempts to connect. Um, But I think forgiveness, there will always need to be that repair um, and true community is built I think in the wake of forgiveness, um, I think about communities that have had acts of violence in them that impacts the community. And these are not of God, right? I'm challenged to find any language that suits what in the world God's relationship is to those things and how he interacts with them. But I do know this, um, when we are in need of forgiveness in our own life or when we're in need of uh, bringing forgiveness into other people's lives, there is community built there. There's a sense of connectedness um, that is really powerful that I cannot manufacture in just the day-to-day, like going to pick up my dry cleaning, which I don't know. Does anyone get dry cleaning anymore? I don't think so. I don't. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, like doing the day-to-day stuff is is good. And that does build community, those pieces of connection. But the forgiveness is like community rushing in, I think, between the parties um, to craft this thing that is more deep, that is more authentic. Is there anything, is is there one thing that's consistent across all communities, hmm. um, particularly for, <laughs> is there anything that's consistent across all communities, particularly when it comes to us as Christians in our vocations mm-hmm. that, that we need to understand? I think that's why I included those um, sections on the um, definition of uh, like the desire for mercy, peace, and hope. And and you could probably add more, but I think um, when you look up the idea of neighboring, which again is really wrapped up in this concept of community, whatever kind of community it is, it's people living as neighbors together in proximity in some way, whether it's geographic proximity or interest proximity um, or faith proximity. Um, I think that... Uh, you know, you can live in proximity, but the connection makes community. And without the connection, 
we don't really have community. We have that gift of community. We have like, let's call it layer one community. Like you have community, but it's just layer one. Um, connection gives us layers, you know, two through 74. So I think connection is probably the key word here. Um, but I also think when you look up neighbor in the Bible, you get these other big words like service in mercy, you know, serving one another is part of community, whether it has to do with, it's funny, the Huskers, right? And I don't know, we could craft ideas of how those people serve each other, but, um, you know, that's part of being a neighbor um, that God identifies that is the work of community. And then also living peaceably. Um, I think we are in a world of strife and that has been true for so much of history, but we, I think, can think of ways that's especially true for us now, uh, that strife is challenging. Um, when we live with one another in peace, we're, again, crafting more community and deeper community, safer community together. Um, and we can do that, I think, in, in our small spaces, when the world, like, we want the world to be peaceful, yes, but is that realistic? I, I don't think so, most of the time until Jesus comes again. Um, and so we can, though, work on that in our own spaces. And then hope, Everyone needs hope. We need hope so desperately. Um, and so we share that <clears throat> in the word of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. But there's also those small hopes that people need in order to get to that big hope or those small hopes that we need even once we know that big hope, which is, you know, somebody like snow blowing my driveway and saving me some time that week or um, someone remembering it's my birthday and leaving me a note on my Facebook wall, you know, whatever. I think that that is part of the role is whatever neighboring looks like. So maybe the listener would dig in more if they're interested in community into that neighbor concept in the Bible. Um, but then I think certainly those things I listed are, are what I discovered when I dug into neighbor. Finding hope from brokenness to restoration from Deaconess Heidi Gaiman. We will continue the conversation next week. Only two more weeks left in, only two more chapters left in this book. So uh, thanks so much, Heidi, for joining us today. And always great to chat with you. Hey, thanks for having me. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Eddie Bates. I'm Sarah Eggleseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Anywhere.